So we are in week number two of our nine-part series, Christian Atheist. Throughout this series, what we've actually been doing is learning about how we as followers of Christ produce the fruit of the Spirit, not only on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday as well. And last week, we defined what a Christian atheist is. Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist. In other words, a Christian atheist does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. John chapter 15 will say that those who do not bear fruit, that the branches from the true vine, will be cut off and thrown into the fire. And I don't think you want that. I don't want that for you. And so my prayer is that as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit together, that you would be encouraged to know that true love, true joy, and peace, and patience, and all the other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are not as far away as you think. You can start producing these things very quickly if you have a relationship with God. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So each week we'll be focusing on a different characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Last week was all about love, and today is all about joy. So John, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you to hear your word and to learn about how we can produce joy in our life. Lord, I thank you that you've given me this opportunity to, to preach your word. So Lord, I just pray that you speak through me as you always do and you always know how. Lord, open up our hearts to receive your message that you've prepared for us through me today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a story that I heard several years ago. Uh, it was of a woman in the church named Joyce Uckers. Joyce was one of those people who always had something to complain about. She was loud. She was opinionated. And she wasn't scared to tell you exactly what she thought. And most of the time, it was negative. So there was always something wrong with her life. When there would be an event at church, she would tell you everything that was going wrong in the event and how it could probably be better. She wasn't scared to tell you that if something was going great in your life, how it could be completely destroyed. If there was something good going on, she would tell you or remind you even of all the people in Africa that have it far worse. So you don't need to be... Uh, talking about all these great things that are happening in your life because some people have things that are going deeply wrong, right? She was also one that if you felt really confident about yourself that day and you walked into church or you walked into Walmart or wherever you would see her at, leave it to Joyce to tell you what she thought about how you really looked. Every decision that you would make, if she found out about why you made the decision, she'd tell you why it was wrong. 
and why you needed to choose something else. You see, Joyce was one of those people that you just wanted to avoid at all costs, but you could never seem to get rid of. So when I was thinking about how I was going to title this message for like YouTube and for our website, I really wanted to title the message, How to Kill Joyce. But, but on the off chance that someone named Joyce out there was going to click on our video, I didn't want us to think that we're trying to kill her. But hopefully, at this point, if you haven't, it's fine. You've caught on that Joyce Uckers is actually the joy sucker in your life. There, it's the one person that comes in and sucks all of the joy out of you so that all that's left is fear, doubt, and worry about what might happen next. Now, even though some of you may have had a name or two in your mind of who the joy suckers are in your life, I want to let you in on a little secret. The greatest joy sucker in your life is probably yourself. Right? Yes, there are people in our life that when you encounter them, you're like, oh, I was just getting to be happy. And they suck out all that happiness. They suck out all that joy. But the reality is, is that the greatest joy sucker in our life is ourself. See, this story of Joyce Uckers was made up when I heard it. It was made up just now. But she's very real in our life. You can't get away from her because she's inside your mind. She follows you everywhere you go because she's you. She'll tell you to pursue happiness to pursue the pleasures of the world because they will give you joy, but for just a moment. And what I want to help you do is to choose to live in joy so that the joy suckers, including yourself, they don't affect you anymore. To do this, we got to answer three questions, I think. The first one is, what is biblical joy? Second one is, how do you find joy? And then the third one is, how do you produce joy? the reason for these three questions is you have to understand biblically what joy actually means so that you know where to find it. And then if you're a true follower of Christ, then your next step would be to start producing joy in your life. So you also know how to, have to know how to produce it. Because you can know all that there is to know about joy, but never live it out. You can know exactly the roadmap of how to find it, but never actually get it. Right? So this is what I'm trying to help you with. So to answer the first question, what is biblical joy? Uh, a great church leader of our past, Dwight L. Moody, once wrote this. Happiness is caused by things that happen around me, and circumstances will mark. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart. It's a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience with him. We often think of joy and happiness as the same thing. And uh, you may know from other sermons of mine and just reading the Bible that that's not exactly true. Happiness and joy are very, very much tied together. And that's where I think we kind of get them confused. But I think there's also a reason that the Bible will say happiness or gladness and joy. 
instead of bunching them up together as happiness meaning joy, it's happiness and joy or gladness and joy. And that's because I believe that the Bible is making a distinction between the two. Yes, happiness is a byproduct of joy, but happiness in itself will not do much because it only lasts for moments based on emotions. So even though some of you already know this, we tend to live our lives as if we believe happiness and joy are the same thing. We might know that they're different in some ways, but we still live as if happiness and joy are exactly the same. Now, some of this comes from our desire to just simply be in control of our own lives, which is a desire for all of us. We all want to be in control of our lives, right? And like chaotic situations just coming up in your life that you didn't plan for. Okay, no hands. That's kind of what I expected. So we, we like to be in control. Now, some of us like to be more in control than others, but we like to be in control and to find joy. Not to give away the rest of the sermon, but to find joy, you have to give up your control and give it to God. But happiness is well within our control, for the most part. Like, there are circumstances that will uh, kill our joy, but there's always things that we can do to make ourselves happy. So we, we like to be in control, and this is why we often pursue happiness instead of joy. But another reason is that we simply just don't understand what joy is. Because we've confused it and mixed it in with happiness so much that we're like, well, you can only have joy for a moment. No, you can have happiness for a moment, but joy lasts forever. And you hear that and you're like, yeah, I I know what you mean, but I've never experienced that in my life. And hopefully the rest of this message helps you with that. But in the Bible, there are so many verses that reference joy. Uh, Just to give you a couple, Psalm chapter 3, verse 5, at the end of it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Isaiah 35, 10 says, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. See, in the Old Testament, when you're looking at what joy is, joy is very closely tied to happiness and gladness, but also to victory. The victory over enemies, which, yes, any type of victory is going to bring you some sort of happiness, gladness, but this victory is different. The victory that is tied to joy is how God gave them victory in their weaknesses. Gave the nation of Israel, gave the northern or southern kingdom of Israel victory in their weakness. See, when the people of God found victory over their enemies that had oppressed them, when the people of God faced impossible odds to win, and they still won, they rejoiced in the Lord, not because they knew that it was within their control, but that God did this for them. And their joy was all uh, in tied with the victory that God gave them. Not the victory that they earned, not the victory that they worked for, the victory that God gave them. And in the New Testament, joy is also tied to victory, but in a slightly different way. When you look throughout the, the New Testament, joy is often expressed when people repent of their sins and receive salvation. In other words, joy is expressed when people find Christ's victory over their old sinful self through salvation. So joy and victory are so closely tied together. It's where you find your joy is where you find your victory. 
Biblical joy is heavily tied to the salvation that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. Which leads straight into our second question. Where can you find joy in your life? Another early church leader, Oswald Chambers, said, Man cannot find true essential joy anywhere but in his relationship to God. See, the only place that we can find true, unwavering, and eternal joy is in Christ. That's it. That's the only place that we can find this joy, right? And it makes sense because if the fruit of the Spirit of God includes joy, then God is the only source of that joy. But if you don't have a relationship with him personally and in a community, then you will chase after joy but only achieve happiness. Now, I say personally because we're really good at talking about our personal relationship with God. You need to have a personal relationship with God. You need to work on this with your personal relationship with God. But I also say community. Because if you don't have a relationship with God in a community, in a church, then your personal relationship with God will suffer. It'll struggle. Right? We have to have both. It has to be a personal and a community-based relationship. But the problem that we have is that we live as if happiness is joy. So here's an example I want you to wrestle with for just the next few minutes. Let's say you're pursuing a job promotion or a different career altogether. And you know that in your mind, this, this job will make you happy because it's less hours, higher pay, whatever uh, causes your happiness. You're like, this job would be so great. Because I'd be able to spend more time with my family. I'd be able to do more things that I can do on my own. I don't have to travel to work. I can work from home. I can do these things and, and it would bring you happiness. And you're like, this would be so great for me and my family. If you pursue happiness when you're pursuing this job, you'll work really hard for this job. You'll work overtime. You'll do everything that you can to make sure that you're a prime candidate for this job. You'll go to the interview and if you get the job, You'll probably praise God out of respect for him and because you know that you're supposed to. But deep down inside, if you really look at yourself, you're like, I earned it. I put in all the hours. I made sure that my resume was clean as it could be. You know, I'm the one that passed the background check. I'm the one that did this. I, I did this. I, I did all these things to make sure that I could get this job. So I earned it. I earned that victory and you'll still be happy because you got the job the problem is if you're pursuing happiness your job will be your happiness and if you've been in the workforce for any amount of time you know that someday your job is not going to make you happy there's going to be a moment in your job that you're going to be like oh i wish i could just quit right now but i can't i wish i could quit and I could still get the same income coming in. And I would definitely do that. But I can't quit. I can't quit now. Right? Because our happiness is not, or happiness is based on material things. It's based on things that we can control. We can control our job. But when something out of control happens in our job, our happiness depletes. And then we're like, how do I get happy again? So if you don't get the job, what do we tend to do as Christians? We look to God. We're like, God, why didn't you bless me with this job? Why did you allow that to happen? This job made me so happy. Why, why, would, you, why would you change it up? Why? 
God, I thought that I was supposed to get that new job. I thought you wanted me to get the promotion. I thought you wanted me to go to this new career path. Why is it not working out? Why are you closing doors? You get frustrated. You get angry with God. You're like, and, and then you start to doubt. You're like, maybe I just didn't hear God correctly. Maybe, maybe something's wrong inside of me, and, and I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Because I thought I heard from God, but clearly I was hearing from Satan because I didn't get the job. So now I don't know what's Satan's voice and what's God's voice, and I'm so confused. And you begin to get anxious and worried about what's going to happen next. And if the next time that you think you hear from God, you're going to have all these doubts of, well, is it actually God or is it just me? Is it actually God or is it Satan trying to destroy me? And you get so confused. Because you're pursuing happiness, you're pursuing a feeling, you're pursuing an emotion. Because you pursued happiness, you feel pride when you get what you want, and you blame God when you don't get what you don't want, or don't get what you want. Happiness will always rest in when you get what you feel you deserve. But if you pursue joy in Christ, you'll still work hard for that job. You'll still put in all the extra hours. You'll put in the same amount of work. You'll interview, and, you, and when you get the job, you'll rejoice in the Lord because he gave you the job that you desired, that you are a child of the living God, and he adopted you into the kingdom through Christ's death and resurrection, and he loves his children, and he blesses his children. So you rejoice in the Lord because God has blessed you with this job that you desired. But if you don't get the job, you praise God anyways because you know that he holds the future in his hands. And even though you might not get the job now, you might get it later. You can still hold on to that hope. That, Or if you didn't get the job, there's probably a good reason why God didn't let you get that job. And so you hold on to the fact that since you're a child of God, since you've been adopted into the kingdom through Christ's death and resurrection, that God has a calling on your life. And it might not include that job promotion that you desired or that job career that you desired right now, but he's always going to work things for your good. And he is in control. So you rejoice in the Lord anyways because your life is no longer about you. It's all about him. Joy will always rest in what God has already accomplished through Christ. I want you to notice how joy will always focus on the gospel message and happiness focuses on you. Happiness will always focus on your desires, on your feelings. Joy will always focus on what God is doing in my life, what God has done in my life, and how I can, even in the worst situations in the world, I can still find joy because Christ died for me. Christ rose again for me so that I could at the end of all days, be with him in paradise, drinking that new wine. Joy is found through Christ's victory over our lives, over our sins, which leads into our final question. How do you start producing joy? A British theologian, in which I disagree with a lot, but I like this, this quote. He said, joy is not an accident of temperament, or an unpredictable providence, joy is a matter of choice. This paints a really vivid picture of the difference between happiness. Happiness is, sometimes happens on accident. 
Sometimes we act, things accidentally work together and then you, you become happy. Or it's unpredictable when happiness is going to come and when it's going to fade away. But joy is always a matter of choice because where happiness is an emotion, joy is a state of mind. So we must choose to live in the joy of the Lord. We must choose to pursue God and to produce joy in our life and in the lives of others. When I think about that song, uh, New Wine, and, and how like the grapes are crushed, oftentimes when we're living in the fruit of the Spirit, Satan will come and crush our fruit. He'll press it, he'll crush it, and if we're all being honest, most of the time, since we're broken humans, we get crushed, and then we're like, okay, my life's in shambles, so I need to produce more fruit. But instead of allowing Satan to just go ahead and crush you, when you have true joy, joy will flow out of your crushed fruit. Love will flow out of your crushed fruit. Patience will flow out of your crushed fruit. So when your life is crushed, when your life is pressed and, and you're persecuted and you're hurting, what always will flow out is the new wine of the fruit of the Spirit. When I think about people that produced joy in the Bible, I always think of Paul. How he was shipwrecked multiple times. He was stranded. He, he starved to death or almost to death. He, he got the 40 lashes minus one. He had so many horrible things happen to him. And what did he always do? He always looked to God and said, I praise him anyways. Because where I am weak, he is strong. Where I am broken, he has healed me. Everything that Paul does is you walk through his different letters and you see his life. You see that his life was producing joy every time that he got crushed. And I think that's part of what makes us Christians so different from the world is because when the world is crushed, they retreat. But when we're crushed, joy and love flows out of us. And they get so confused because they're like, why, why are you loving in this situation? Why, why are you so joyful? Do you not see what's happening in your life? How can you be joyful? How can you be peaceful? And our only response is, it's a gift from God. It's because Christ lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. He can do the same for you. He's done this in my life. But how do we choose joy? How do we produce joy? It's really simple on paper. Really, really simple on paper, but it's so hard in practice. And I think the main thing comes from this. Repent of your sins. We often think of repentance as turning away from our sins so that we can avoid doing them later. Right? Repentance is, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this because I love God and, and I don't need to uh, involve myself in that anyway. So I, I'm going to walk away from it. And, and that's kind of where we leave. We're like, we're going to walk away from it and we're going to avoid it. We're going to take measures to make sure that we avoid falling into that same temptation again. But what always happens? We always fall right back into it, don't we? We always... Like, with every good intention in our heart, separate our sin from ourselves, but then we walk right back to the sin. Why? Because we often pursue happiness. And I know that this isn't the most religious thing to say in the world, 
But sin can bring you happiness, but it will never bring you joy. If you're pursuing happiness, then as you're pursuing and you're walking with God, Satan will present something sinful that will bring you happiness for a moment. And if you're pursuing happiness, you're going to take it. When something wrong goes in your life, why do we often go back to our, our old sinful ways when we get stressed and anxious? Because happiness is going to give us a moment of relief, but it's never going to solve the issue. Repentance goes far deeper and says, I'm not only going to take care of all of the symptoms, I'm going to heal you too. It's like this. We're, and this applies to all of the fruit of the Spirit, but we're talking about joy right now. If I am working outside and I cut my arm wide open and I take a handful of ibuprofen and, or some type of painkiller and, and swallow it, my arm will begin to feel better because I've taken painkillers because it's telling my mind that I'm not hurting anymore. This is happiness. What joy does is it says, you're broken and you're hurting because something wounded you. And since something wounded you, your response is not to numb the pain, it's to fix it. It's to heal it. So when you cut open your arm, what do you do? You go to the hospital because it's cut wide open. You might bandage it up and like do the compressing and try to keep it from bleeding. But you go to the the doctor's office, and they might give you some painkillers for your comfort, for the pain management, but they're going to look to heal your broken wounds. Happiness, as great as it can be, it's used in both situations. That, that moment of relief of your pain that you're experiencing but what joy will always seek to do is to heal the pain that you're experiencing. And what makes it so hard is that repentance is one of the keys to get this, is because you have to look deep into your soul and find out what broke you. And as Christians, we don't like to do that. As people, we don't like to do that. Why? Because it brings up all of our past hurt. I know in my life, it's been so easy for me to just think, take things that hurt me and shove it down as far as I can to, to like crush everything that crushed me and forget about it. The problem is that when you start truly repenting, all of those feelings, all of those emotions, all of that brokenness is going to come bubbling back up to the surface. And our natural response is to just push it back down to take some more pain medication and, and get that relief that happiness brings. But joy will always look so much deeper. But you will never find joy until you find healing. You'll never find joy until you find victory over what is causing you so much. Repentance is not so much that we're turning away and trying to avoid doing things. It's that we're looking towards God. And because we choose to look towards God, we choose to look away from our sinful past.
from our old ways, from our old wineskins. It's not enough for us to just avoid sinning as followers of Christ. You won't find joy that way. You won't be as loving that way. You won't be completely filled with the fruit of the Spirit that way if you're just avoid, avoiding sin. It's not enough for us to find ways to not fall into the same traps and temptations. It's not enough for, for you and I to find the seven ways to avoid being angry at your spouse or your family member. It's not enough for us to avoid saying things that we shouldn't say, to avoid being stepped on like a doormat, to avoid saying yes to everything or no to everything, to avoid being envious of how great their life looks on social media. It's not enough for us to avoid lying, lying and cheating and gossiping and cussing. It's not enough for us to avoid the things of the world. And that's where most of us land. We live our entire lives trying to avoid certain sins, trying to follow the rules and say, well, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to cuss, I'm not going to chew, and I'm not going to deal with the people that do. Right? We, we push all of that aside, and as it keeps creeping up on us, we fall into it and we're like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Because we're constantly looking for things that are going to give us a moment of relief in our chaotic, anxious, and depressed-filled lives. The hard work of joy is that it takes more time than happiness. Happiness can happen in a moment. right? You can have that moment of happiness, but joy will take time for your wounds to heal. right? If you've ever broken a bone before, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time for that bone to heal. But if you keep walking on that bone, it's not going to heal properly. If you keep putting pressure on, on that bone and on, like if you broke your leg, if you keep pressing, pressing in and deeper and deeper and just saying, hey, I, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to put on the cast. I'm not going to seek the healing. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm just going to take a bunch of ibuprofen and Tylenol so that I don't feel this pain anymore. That will never heal. but we often do this in our life. And what I want you to find is that you can find healing in Christ. You can. But you have to look deep into yourself and find out why. What caused this in me? Oftentimes, our childhood traumas leads, to our leads into our daily lives. This is something that I've learned fairly recently is that things in our past, though they might not have been necessarily bad, the way that we reacted to them bad, it just continued to spread. And a lot of the sinfulness can all be stemmed back to a moment in time. There's a, a pastor that I heard uh, at part of his sermon, and he talked about how he was encountering one of his church members, and his church member was like, you know, pastor, I'm just... You know, I'm sinful in all these different ways and gave him a list of everything that he was struggling with. He's like, I don't have any joy. I don't have any happiness. I don't have any love for anyone. And I keep falling into all these different temptations and I just don't know how to manage it. And he's like, I've tried to go one by one. Like, I'm not gonna sin in this way. I'm not gonna worry about the rest. I'm just gonna try and take them one at a time and I always fall back into it. And he's like, I've tried and tried to just give it to God. And the pastor looked at him and said, Where's the stone? He said, I don't know what that means. He said, 
and in an avalanche, all it takes is one small little stone. And if you start rolling that stone, it will start becoming a big snowball. And as that snowball hits into things, it will begin to, to start an avalanche. But it all starts with the one stone. He's like, what you're telling me is that there's an avalanche in your life. Everything is falling apart. But if you just give God the stone, he'll take care of the rest. If you look deep into your life and you find out where it all started and you say, God, I give this moment to you, he'll take care of everything else that's outside of your control and power. In that particular story, it was a, a, a bad relationship with his dad. And, and that particular incident, it was a bad relationship with his dad and he never forgave his dad for something that he did. So he had to do a whole lot of soul searching and, and, and healing to forgive his dad. But once he forgave his dad, then God started taking care of the rest. Repentance looks at how deep the wound is and what caused the wound that led to your sinful ways. It doesn't put a band-aid over your sin. It seeks to heal it. The joy that you produce will be evidence of healing and victory that Christ has given you. It's all about the victory that God gives us. But if you don't first try to find where it started, try to find the source of your pain, you won't find victory because you won't know to give that to God. So go and pursue Christ. Go and live in the joy that he brings.